Welcome to History Conspiracy Podcast, where we provide the audio and you decide whether it's history or conspiracy. This is Dialogue Conspiracy. Political research specialist Mae Bressel, whose conspiracy newsletter appears in The Realist magazine, has for three years shared with our listeners the fruits of her decades' research into political assassinations and the abuses of power in America. Her weekly commentary relates the news of the week to the evidence emerging about the conspiracy which allegedly maintains its power by force over America's electoral and executive processes. And now, here's May. Good afternoon on Dialogue Conspiracy, May the 13th, 1974, and this is program 144. We have a three-year anniversary this month for Dialogue Conspiracy. I'm going to change the format of the program today and take you directly to San Francisco, where I attended the press conference of Donald Freed, uh, where he presented evidence of Field Marshal Sinku, known as Donald DeFreeze, uh, being an agent of the Los Angeles Police Department. The press conference was held in the office of Charles Gary, the attorney. There were about 40 members of the press there, the British Broadcasting, New York Times, Washington Post, and the media from all over the world and the city were there to hear this, what I think is a historic press conference. For those of you that listen to KLRB every week, it is the second scoop for this station. We've had a lot of firsts down here at these shows for three years. It was the first station to cover the full Watergate story from June 1972 on, and it's the first station in the United States to talk about the implications of the law enforcement and government agencies being behind the Patricia Hearst kidnapping. So it was an important interview that Don Freed gave to the media last week on Friday, and now the media is carrying it all over the world. Don Freed, who presents the press conference, is the author of a play in New York City, it was produced on the Rosenberg trial called Inquest. He co-authored the book Glasshouse Tapes with Louis Tackwood, agent provocateur from Los Angeles Police Department who worked in the same office as Donald DeFries. He co-authored the book Executive Action with Mark Lane, a movie was made of that, and wrote a book called Agony New Haven, the story of the Bobby Seal, Erica Huggins trial in New Haven. and. He has done investigative work for the past 10 years. And the other voice you hear at the press conference is Lake Headley. Uh, he did investigative work for Billy Dean Smith, the trial on, at Fort Ord that took place a year ago, and he did investigative work for the Wounded Knee trial. He's a detective in Las Vegas. Bear with us with the static and noise because this is a press conference that is taped. It's not taking place right here in the room. You usually get a distilled version of what can be told in one minute or three minute or one column from a press conference. So I'm going to give you a full 50 minutes. There's a little lapse in there of time halfway through before the questions begin. Don Fried had on his desk a pile of documents and it was requested that he move those so the microphones and tape cassettes could hit, pick up the questions and answers. And uh, there's the usual noise of about 80 people squashed into a room the size of one law office room of Charles Gary. So you will hear nerve surface noises and so forth, but you'll pick up a lot of what we've been saying on this program and we'll conclude 
with the remarks of Don Freed when they asked about the behavior modification of Donald DeFries. And Don Freed said that the era of the 60s was one of wiretap and surveillance. Incidentally, the Supreme Court today may throw out 600 cases of John Mitchell's wiretapping and surveillance they decide that were illegally placed. And Don Freed said, and I agree with him, that the 70s are a period of behavior modification, that they're as heavy as a wiretapping, and we have to throw this out just as we're throwing out the wiretap cases. So now I'm going to turn you on to the press conference of Don Freed and the other voices, Lake Headley, a private investigator, and they have with them 400 pages of documents upon which they base their conclusions. So you will listen to the conclusions and then some of the questions that were taking place. Department. He has a, a very high reputation in his field. Gentlemen and ladies, I give you Mr. Donald Freed. Donald David DeFries, known as Field Marshal Sing Fu of the Symbionese Liberation Army, was a highly valued, protected informer for the Los Angeles Police Department and the Department of Corrections in the state of California from 1967 to 1973. DeFries was apparently so valuable to the LAPD criminal conspiracy section and then LA District Attorney Evel J. Younger that they intervened on nine separate occasions to keep DeFries out of prison. They also prevented his extradition to New Jersey and Ohio to face charges which included kidnapping. In nearly all these cases, DeFries was charged with illegal possession of weapons and or bombs. In one case, some 240 weapons. DeFries's supervising officer in the LAPD was Sergeant R.G. Farwell, presently of the Public Disorder Intelligence Unit. Farwell claims that he, quotes, finally cut DeFries loose, quotes, close, because he was, quote, so crazy, close quotes. After he was finally imprisoned in 1969, DeFries continued to inform, according to both inmate and police sources, DeFries was particularly instrumental in the prosecution of a case related to the so-called Charles Manson family. At Vacaville Prison, DeFries was encouraged to organize an outside support group, which, according to authorities, later became the Symbionese Liberation Army. In April 1973, shortly after his transfer to Soledad Prison, DeFries was placed in a minimum security area at midnight with virtually no supervision, an area reserved for informers, and within an hour, DeFries escaped. DeFries's entire background became known to authorities in January of 1974, after the assassination of Dr. Marcus Foster, but before the kidnapping of Patricia Hearst. Citizens Research and Investigation Committee believe that if DeFries's real background as an informant had been made public at that time, it would have rendered the SLA incapable of further action and would have denied it the outside logistical support which FBI Director Kelly maintains they are getting. The records of Donald DeFries's criminal activities and especially the correspondence involving attempts to extradite him have been removed from their normal public place and put in the locked desk of a watch commander in the intelligence division of the Los Angeles Police Department. <coughs> Crick believed that all of these facts point to the need for an independent investigation into the role of the authorities in the 
creation of the SLA. Specific questions that need to be answered by an independent prosecutorial or congressional inquiry are, why did Donald David DeFree subpoena Evel J. Younger as a defense witness in 1969 and claim that he had facts which would embarrass Mr. Younger? Why was Donald DeFries allowed to violate probation time after time, despite the fact that he was constantly apprehended with guns and bombs? Why did the state of California repeatedly refuse to extradite DeFries, despite serious charges lodged against him in the East? Finally, we call upon the citizens of California to join us in demanding an immediate, independent investigation into this obvious suppression of evidence and obstruction of justice. I would like uh, Mr. Headley, Lake Headley, Chief Investigator, to indicate to you the data and documents that are available before you begin your questions. Can you remove those books there because that denies him access to these microphones here. turning this over to Mr. Headley, I would like to say that uh, Ms. Jeannie Davis and Ms. Elizabeth Schmidt uh, are, are here, and they are Mr. Headley's aides and have been working in the field virtually around the clock for about the last six weeks. Uh, there are some other guests here, but one is the almost legendary researcher, though she's very much alive, May Russell, and uh, she has perhaps the outstanding network of prison inmate informants and it may be and you will find one of the key quotes in the um, in the summary in the colored jacket uh, from Soledad uh, is thanks to Miss Russell's research and it may be that later she will have something to add. Mr. Headley. As Mr. Freed pointed out to you uh, this has been going on in a full-time capacity for approximately six weeks this investigation. As you see before me here, a multitude of documents, uh, Xerox copies, uh, items that we've been able to uh, obtain at the onset of the investigation that are no longer available because the files in Los Angeles have been deleted by some 50%, the material they contained originally and are now stored in a new place. But to identify some of them, we have this book here that you've all seen that, that we put together. It's a, it's a compiled, uh, summary of a, the investigation. And it's not a book in the sense that a novel's a book. It's, it's a book in the sense that we compiled information from official court records and Xerox copies of those and put them together, interspersed with a letter that Donald DeFries wrote to the judge in 1970, in which he explained to the judge that he was going to tell what many people had wanted to be told, and that was the truth about Donald DeFries, beginning at age 16 in 1960 and concluding with the current time, which at that time was 1970. We have compiled that. In addition to that, the copies that you have there of the uh, press release in conjunction with this document, which is kind of a road map, we like to look at it, of, of a way to go and avenues that must be explored that we are relatively powerless to explore because we have no officialdom. We have no subpoena powers or oaths to administer to cause these facts to come to light. 
So we look at this as sort of a roadmap of a place to go from where we are now. If there's any questions that you'd like to ask regarding these yeah, documents. Yeah, Mr. Headley, could you, could you hit some of the highlights of some of your supportive uh, evidence to prove uh, the allegation being made? Uh, I can. Just get a couple of them. Uh, I can. And time didn't permit us to prepare enough of these to hand to all of you. But I have here in front of me an 11-page chronological breakdown of Donald DeFries's arrest records from 1960 through the current time. Well, can you give us some idea verbally of some of the highlights of what causes you to make these allegations? What is there in, in the way of proof? All right, well, if we can start with the press release at the questions in the fact that uh, Mr. Fried just read you, why did Donald DeFries subpoena Evel Younger as a defense witness? Let's begin with the Evel Younger situation. Would that be all right with Do everyone? you have a Xerox of that subpoena? Yes, we here? do. Yes. We can make copies of it? If it'll copy, it's not a terribly good. It's in his handwriting. And it was served. We have a copy of the back of the subpoena that was served on his office. Aren't you letting him answer the question? Yeah, one of the questions. Can you give us some of the answers? Here's the copy of the subpoena that you're asking about. That's the Evel Younger subpoena. And it was served. The second page of the document is the back page of a subpoena or the return. It was served uh, for Mr. Younger. Accepted service. Accepting service was an A M E A L M I E L E receptionist. Well, can you answer the questions first of all? Or that is some of the supportive evidence uh, that leads you to make this claim. You were going to start with the Younger case. Yes, that's, that would be some of it. Okay, can you explain that to us? Well, I can't explain why Donald DeFries subpoenaed Evel Younger. No. Okay. I, I would like to know from Evel Younger. Well, what, what is it that leads you to make these charges that he was an informant for the police over these years? What supportive evidence do you have to back that claim up? Okay, okay. let me tell you, first of all, the, the probably the most dramatic example of the documentation of the, his position as an informant with the Los Angeles Police Department came from Sergeant Farwell, his handler at the Los Angeles Police Department when he was functioning as an informant. Sergeant Farwell told me, and if I'm fortunate enough to find it, I'll quote. Farwell said, and I quote, that's why I cut him loose. In response to a, a statement that I made to him on the telephone, I, I tell Farwell, he wrote a 14-page letter from the joint in 1970, and it goes into all that heavy Christ stuff. And Farwell says, that's why I cut him loose. He was getting into that, and I knew he was dead as far as his psychological state was concerned. I just couldn't deal with it. His defense attorney, a Mr. Morgan Moten on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles, told me yesterday in a telephone in interview that I conducted with him that DeFries asked him in 1967 or 1968 when he represented him if he, Moten, felt that DeFries should inform for the Los Angeles Police Department in return for consideration in the gun case, the 200 gun case. Morton says that he told him it's a matter of survival, you have to make your own decision in regard to that, and DeFries elected to become an informant and was given preferential treatment in that case. What kind of sworn statements? No, they're not sworn statements. No, they're not. You mentioned in there, there a hacker. What, you, you posed the question, uh, what relationship, how did Hacker get into the Hearst case? And you, there's a reference also to Hacker having been assigned to, uh, as his psychiatrist, 
during one of the cases. Yes, he was. Uh, I can't what, answer what the first question. I don't know how Hacker got into the first into the Hearst family. I don't know that. I do know how he got into the DeFries case. He was a court-appointed psychiatrist. We have a copy of that order appointing him psychiatrist. In 1968, and I believe. Did he examine him? I think I could. Uh, I think Don has, a, has interviewed him. Maybe we can let Don answer that. I had a long talk with Dr. Hacker yesterday. Let me first say about the informant, there is a letter from DeFries's wife here uh, from the probation report, now missing, which states that uh, my husband has cooperated uh, ever uh, with the police, uh, but as she continues, they have been arresting him. Police officers have been running to and from the house just to talk to him. She complains that they won't let him go, so there's some evidence that he might have potentially been a one-time informant who was in the heat and, if one may say, the hysteria of the late 60s in the war against the Black Liberation Movement when the orders came down to, quote, develop race informants. It may be that Mr. DeFries was simply drafted. Uh, in a long talk with Dr. Hacker, he insists that what happened in his assignment to Mr. DeFries was totally irregular and unorthodox. <laughs> and he turned over um, this information to us, and it is this. Um, we know that DeFries, instead of being sent to the penitentiary on, uh, after one of his innumerable arms charges, uh, was, as to quote our, one of our informants, was, quote, nutted out to Chino. That's a common way of handling informers. You send them to for <laughs> narcotics, 90-day narcotics or 90-day psychiatric test, rather than sending them uh, to prison. And, and uh, during this test, the psychiatrists at Chino said such things as this man cannot be permitted to uh, go at large, he is dangerously ill, uh, he will kill someone, a number of extreme statements. Now, Dr. Hacker, a well-known psychoanalyst, was assigned by the court to make a final determination. He was, despite the fact that the psychiatric evaluation unit at Chino painted the picture of a dangerously disturbed man, Hacker was unceremoniously jerked off the case in late November of 1968, totally opposed to the logic of what happens in every other case. He's very disturbed about this, and he endorses the idea of an independent and official investigation <coughs> and promises to cooperate and to testify. Mr. Freed, you say in your longer piece of uh, paper in the folder that in 1970, DeFries began operating as a knowing agent for various California agencies. What's your evidence for saying that? Uh, both police, both official and inmate uh, informants uh, simply bear out what the record has shown. Uh, DeFries was recruited by Colston Westbrook of the Central Intelligence Agency for the behavior modification program known as the Black Cultural Association. DeFries, as they say, blew an anti-white line, a militant and ultra-violent revolutionary and anti-white line, so much so that he was ostracized by fellow inmates. He then went to the authorities. This is on the record, and Mr. Pecunier of the Department of Corrections has virtually admitted as much in taking some responsibility for the SLA, he went to complain to the authorities. They did not find him too provocative or militant. They, in fact, gave him his own project. That project, Unicite, was, as we know, to become the SLA and was involved with white revolutionaries or pseudo-revolutionaries on the outside. At this point, he was moved to Soledad, where the important, many important black political prisoners are incarcerated. 
He, there we have, we quote in our summary uh, from an inmate informant telling what it's like at Soledad and how it is that it is impossible to be given the run of that maximum of the soul breaker. But can't this, can't this be interpreted as a chain of circumstantial events? What's your proof? You just say that Colton Westbrook is CIA. You don't present any uh, evidence of that. What evidence do you have? I think we have several pages in the summary. Have you read the summary? Yes. Well, you, you say so, you but what is it? Let's, let's do it. You say he was thus and such, but who? What's your, what's your proof? I mean, we can start with Colson Westbrook. No, let's right. go with your question. Okay, my question is... Um, I follow it. This whole chain of events is circumstantial. It, it could be argued. What's, what's your evidence? I follow it. Uh, uh, the chain of events before reaching prison is not circumstantial. After prison, it depends on information. Information from people who will come forward who will give affidavits for an independent congressional investigation and only for an independent congressional investigation because Attorney General Younger, CII, and California investigations have totally lost credibility in the eyes of these people. You're saying you can prove this, but you will only be able to do so before an independent board, is that it? We stand ready to sit down and cooperate either with the California legislature or with the California congressional unit. Are you saying the authorities are somehow responsible for the freeze and the eventual SLA? Uh, well, I'm saying this, that to understand the freeze and the SLA, one has to see the two roots. One is the California prison system, and the other is the virtual counterinsurgency war in the 1960s against the black liberation movement in which scores of agents and many of them disturbed individuals were pressed into service for instance the freeze at ccs served with melvin cotton smith who turned out to be the agent provocateur and chief government witness in the la panther 13 case and with lewis etac with the notorious agent provocateur whose uh, lie detector test i have here by the way and his statements, which were first made public in 1971, of how CCS was an elite unit under the aegis of Evel J. Younger. It came out of the special unit senator set up to investigate the assassination of Senator Robert F. Kennedy. The FBI says they're stumped by the SLA so far. Does that surprise you? Not at all, because the FBI has been sabotaged by Evel Younger and California law enforcement. The FBI's aim has clearly been to rescue Miss Hearst alive. The aim of Evel Younger and California law enforcement, in our opinion, is clearly to see is to kill Mr. DeFreeze before he can talk and perhaps even embroider on his relationship with LAPD and especially that elite unit, which is known to be to this day uh, a virtually a secret police unit under the aegis of Younger in the way that Mayor Rizzo in Philadelphia had his own secret police union. Don, I'm confused. Are you, saying that, are you saying that DeFreeze is or is not now a CIA agent? Are you saying that the SLA is or is not now a provocation? What, what are you saying? Let me be very clear. We are not saying that the SLA, DeFreeze, the kidnapping, the assassination are related events have been planned or structured by either the CIA or any other law enforcement bureau. We are saying that DeFreeze is a dangerously disturbed man who was allowed first to operate when he needed by all authorities, including Deputy DA Younger's own, uh, DA Younger's own deputy, uh, and other authorities when he needed psychiatric help, when he could have been extradited, when he could have been held. Instead, he was forced literally to operate. And in the prison system, he was used in such a way and, and cooperated in such a way that he was put in a position where it was inevitable that he would escape. What we're saying is that had any of this been made known 
by Evelyn J. Younger, the SLA would have fallen apart from within. It could not have had the network of help and uh, subsidy that it has enjoyed if it had been revealed that the maximum leader who's issued the orders of kill on sight for informers, for instance, if it had been known that his mental background and his police background would have denied him all credibility in any revolutionary circles of support. Are you also saying that Younger doesn't care about the safety of Patricia Hearst? We are saying that for that very reason there has been a ruthless propaganda campaign to say that she's just another criminal and don't let her stand in the way of getting to freeze. We're saying precisely that, that they have put the FBI on the spot and try and called them soft on terrorism and tried to panic them into go-in shooting. But so you also talk about, you mentioned before, kidnapping in New Jersey. What evidence do you have of that? Let's let Mr. Headley talk about those three New Jersey situations. I don't, I don't believe that. Would you repeat the question? Yes, I was saying you referred to a kidnapping by uh, involving the freeze, the freeze kidnapping another person. Uh, what evidence do you have of that in New Jersey? We have contacted the New Jersey authorities, as I suppose all of you have. Uh, it's hardly new that he was involved in a kidnapping in New Jersey. I think as near as we can piece together the facts are that he, he and a... He and a Black Panther leader, a respected Black Panther leader named Ralph Cobb, allegedly kidnapped a janitor of a synagogue in New Jersey and held the curator for several hours while they tried to conceive a plan to cause the rabbi to turn over $5,000, allegedly for the defense of a Black Panther that was in custody at that time. What, what, needs, to be, what needs to be raised concerning this is the obvious evidence which is coming out in this case of CIA involvement in it. Uh, I'm speaking for the National Caucus of Labor Committees. My name is Nick Benton, and I'm a U.S. Labor Party candidate for assembly in the 16th District. What the evidence is that's coming out in this case confirms the analysis that the Labor Committees had four months ago, that the Symbionese Liberation Army is part of a much larger conspiracy on the part of the CIA, which is controlled by Rockefeller forces, acting internationally in this period to create chaos and confusion aimed at creating a psychological atmosphere where military intervention and military takeover is inevitable. The Symbionese Liberation Army situation finds corollaries now in Italy where similar operations have sprung up just at the point at which the <coughs> Italian economy is on the verge of collapse. Can you, can you explain to us, in your viewpoint, what threat the SLA poses to what is referred to in this country as the new left? Yes, indeed. Um, the, the prison support movement in the new left is perceived by the Department of Corrections in this state as the number one enemy. We've had the Venceremos affair and others. The California prison system, uh, from all reports, is in a state of, of crisis. As you know, there's been a long lockdown this year. And unlike Mr. DeFries, people who talk like him are locked down and in the hole, not in the informer's wing where they can walk away at midnight. And the operation of Mr. Younger to find a scapegoat so the raid on the Black Panther Party here, a, a raid where uh, pictures, police photos of guns and bombs were shown, and then uh, the photos never seen by the press and the charges dropped the next day. Uh, the uh, harassment of people, the feeling of panic and paranoia in the Bay Area, the threats, the escalation by the SLA on the one hand and California authorities on the other hand with the center collapsing. 
whether or not uh, the, as Mr. as the Washington Post uh, questions, uh, Mr. DeFries or any of the SLA are acting as uh, provocateurs now, they might as well be, because the effect is to distract from Watergate, of which this is the California version, and CCS are Mr. Younger's plumbers, to distract from Watergate and uh, uh, operate on the fantasy of some international Chinese or Latin American conspiracy, as various officials like Mr. Saxby have said. Uh, one of the reasons we came forward and began working with the New York Times several weeks ago in the East is because we feel that the, there's imminence for more bloodshed, that the potential for bloodshed is widespread. There is an assassination list circulating in the Bay Area. Uh, and in a way, the Hearst kidnapping must be seen as not an, at all definitive of the phenomenon that's going on. Because the assassination list has not to do with industrialists, but with people on the left, authentic revolutionary leaders such as Huey P. Newton. And as we allege in here, and we have seen the documents, in the so-called SLA safe house, Nancy Ling Perry's apartment, where the press had to bring out that a green book was found with the name of potential victims, the police have yet to this day to release the fact that a diagram of Huey P. Newton's apartment was found, that rather uh, elaborate plans for Miss Hurst's kidnapping were found, that other uh, identification and information uh, talking about people in community involvement and community activities were found. So that there's a real danger that people who are disturbed, renegades, former police, unstable elements from the 60s, we know are streaming towards the Bay Area and have been since this started to rally around the SLA flag. And what we are afraid of is that they will begin acting on these assassination lists and these targets put out by this great leader, uh, DeFries, uh, as if they came from on high. We feel that some of these people would pause and give thought to their actions if they knew Mr. DeFries's background before they start murdering uh, authentic community leaders. Say, Mr. DeFries rather sarcastically, what, what do you really think of uh, Mr. DeFries, I mean, think that, well, uh, Mr. Headley will quote Mr. Younger's uh, deputy about Mr. DeFries. I just like to give my personal opinion. I consider him a creature of the 1960s and of the California prison system, an obviously disturbed man. His letter, which we have, it is a heartbreaking Dostoevskian letter from prison, has nothing to do with revolution. It has to do with his psychosexual traumas, his problems uh, interpersonally, and with his fanatical Christian uh, apocalyptic view of himself. He says here, Sir, I hope you will take the time to read this because it is what you and a lot of other people have been trying to find out about me for 10 years. What's wrong with me, really? Please read it, sir. It's the truth. It's another one of these people. There have been many black men like this during the 1960s, absolutely destroyed by this mania to uh, conduct a war against the Black Panther Party in particular and black liberation in general. They testified all over this country, George Sams in New Haven, uh, Cotton Smith in, in Los Angeles. In, in Chicago, uh, William O'Neill for the FBI, who was at present at the Fred Hampton uh, slaughter. In city after city, these creatures of the state were brought forward, <coughs> sat in a box to testify, taken out, and of course now they want to wash their hands of him. They have no use for him. He's their Frankenstein monster. Let him be killed by the FBI. I think that a quick accounting has to come in because the SLA, far more than the Hearst kidnapping, has to do with the operations in this state, and they are training more defreezes at this moment. Their provocateurs and in the California prison system, the authorities are creating new Donald defreezes who of course will be renegades and go off on their own at some point in time.
you specifically can be your allegations we we don't say that they are not we don't it's, it's just that we don't say that we are what we say is we've come to the end of the line we're citizens we spent about ten thousand dollars and that doesn't count all the free investigative work we don't have subpoena power this is a situation analogous to watergate there must be an independent inquiry why is this happening well, uh, let's stay with some of our documents for a while, then I'll be glad to speculate. I think you had the uh, uh, Younger's uh, deputy statement under Right, Greg. and I'll read it in a second. What I'd like to address myself to at this moment is something that occurred last night and uh, was in one of the Bay Area papers this morning, that Mr. Younger was in Sacramento with Governor Reagan's wife yesterday to speak on the problem that 25% of the crimes committed in California are committed by persons on probation. And it's interesting to me that at the time that Donald DeFries was sentenced to Vacaville in 1970, he was on three probations in Los Angeles County where Evel J. Younger was the district attorney at that time. And yet Younger denies knowing Donald DeFries or ever having heard the name, except on the latest press releases he said he became acquainted with it. Yesterday he said that. In addition to that, it, that may be true. I have no idea when Mr. Younger hears whatever he hears. But I do know that his deputy, in May of 1970, wrote the following about Donald DeFree. It was the opinion of the undersigned that this person is a high-risk danger to society, and that as soon as he is released from prison, he will return to the same violent career. It is my opinion further that this defendant will eventually kill someone. The latter opinion is based on his actions, in this case, where he initiated a gun battle with police officers and a security guard in order to avoid capture. This indicates a total lack of regard for human life, and it's signed Daniel Johnson, Deputy District Attorney. Now, that's an addendum on an official court document. The case number in Los Angeles County is A252519, and it says the crimes for which the defendant was convicted are as follows. One count of first-degree robbery, two counts of assault with a deadly weapon, one count of possession of a forged check with the intent to defraud. It was after that statement, though, that uh, Freeze was sentenced to five years to life. He was sentenced to many things. All of his probation. I and mean, he went to jail right after Johnson's statement. He did. He went to jail. You can't, you can't therefore draw the conclusion that that kind of a warning was ignored. No, I can draw this conclusion, that someone in the district attorney's office in Los Angeles in 1970 knew who Donald DeFreeze was. The district attorney yesterday denied that they knew of him prior to the news releases on well, the SLA. Somebody had to prosecute the case in which he was involved. It, exactly. A deputy district attorney well, when Evel Younger was the district attorney. Exactly. Well, it, it, it seems rather, relatively immaterial, Roy, whether or not Mr. Younger is involved or whether or not he's so incompetent that he is incapable of running a records check with his own CII to find out who Donald DeFries was after you people in the press announced that he was, in fact, Field Marshal General Singh Q. Well, what's the implication there? That, that Evel Younger is not telling the truth in regard to the uh, in regard to the Donald DeFries matter. Are okay. you aware of Evel Younger's background as an OSS officer, prior uh, predecessor to the CIA? No, I'm not. That's true. Let me just follow up on this for a moment. This statement by Younger's deputy, as well as the psychiatric reports, fly in the face of the treatment DeFries received in prison. Mm -hmm. Not only was he given That's his own group, despite his continuance of spouting very violent rhetoric, but at Soledad, as we know, 
uh, anyone who has talked about this way would never be put in a position that he was put in. Mr. Freeman, you president in May of 1970. The apartment is where you saw it and where it is now? Uh, it is now, it's in the possession of the police. There are also members of the media in the Bay Area that have copies of it. Have you got a copy of it? Of what? Yes, I do. Can we see it? Of what? Of a d diagram of some of the material not reported to the press or the public found in that. Plans to kidnap the universe? Uh, uh, and the diagram. Of that. Can you show Can that? Can see the diagram of the Newton House? <coughs> Mr. Freeman. I think that's not fair. I think we have to stick by our guns of, uh, of a... Uh, of an independent, if, if within, I would say this, if we've been told some of our informants that if within the next 10 days we don't hear from any official body, uh, we will simply have to bring forth uh, documents, affidavits, and uh, lie detector tests and informants. We don't want to do that because in a situation this volatile, we feel it's our responsibility to, that these people have protection and that, uh, and that only an official body can give them protection, and that just to titillate the press and to add to our, uh, uh, the strength of our charges. Uh, You're saying it's going to blow somebody's cover if you show a diagram that you apparently got several months ago? Well, it, it's simply that we, uh, in order to, to really have something to bargain with, we're holding back names, affidavits, documents that haven't been seen, and so forth. I mean, it must, be, must mean something if we have it and the press doesn't. Yeah, Mr. Freed, you gave your reasons as to why you feel that black people were involved through the 60s and now in this kind of activity. Of course, it's also known that there are white people involved with the SLA. What's your it's excuse for their involvement? It's all white. What's your excuse for their involvement? Well, you may notice at the end of the summary, we allege that there is information that some of the some and a number of the white members of the SLA, who, as you know, have no real history in the protest movement of the 60s, the, those with a history split off from the SLA after the assassination of Dr. Foster and wrote a letter to the Chronicle saying they suspected provocateurs. But those who stayed, a number of them, we have information, have been involved with informing in narcotics cases. Uh, so that maybe that their background, too, would have uh, disillusioned support that they're getting. We say that we can... Uh, we will uh, turn over our information in an independent inquiry about these allegations from both the state of Indiana and Pennsylvania and California. Have you done investigations on the white people involved? Yes, we have. We know that uh, uh, one of them had an extreme right-wing background and a narcotics uh, 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 history. Nancy Lane Perry. That's one. Another was questioned in an assassination attempt uh, <laughs> concerning Dr. Foster in Philadelphia when he was heading an anti-drug crusade. Uh, four members uh, who all attended the School of Foreign Affairs at the University of Indiana, uh, an informant states, an official informant, by the way, but who will not give his name uh, unless there's an official inquiry, uh, that all of them worked with intelligence in the State Police of Indiana in narcotics information. So it may be uh, that uh, but we have concentrated on DeFries and Evel Younger as the kind of these are the make-weights of the story, uh, the o official and cynical use of a man who has a sentence hanging over his head and who is mentally ill, and then that man's eventual suicide, really, literally, acting out of a suicide, which may take other people with him. But we haven't talked about the white people, but we feel that there should be an intense investigation into these people that came from out of state uh, to join the SLA. On the one hand, Mr. Freed, you said that the SLA is a creature of uh, uh, Donald DeFries. Now, on the other hand, you said that Donald DeFries is an operative of higher authorities. Now, said who he was. Is, oh, okay. He was. was. Now, who, who is responsible for SLA action? 
Well, I feel that it's, uh, it's, an over, it's an overdetermined phenomenon. You can't say, in my opinion, it's all law enforcement or it's all pathology and one crazy man. Because one crazy man can't get the $100 a day that it takes for, per person to, to live underground during a manhunt, much less to launch aggressive actions. They had guns, they had money, they had help, they had material of all kinds. So that Mr. DeFries's fantasies are irrelevant. Many people may have those fantasies. It takes wherewithal to act them out. So that we're suggesting that while we're saying he is a disturbed individual, there is clear evidence that they have been getting help. And I think that should be one of the centerpieces of any official investigation. We don't know. We're not we have information, but we cannot, I'm not going to make a, a, an irresponsible allegation. We have traced some of the printing presses, some of the guns. Uh, we have, uh, we're on the trail, but we're not going to expose it prematurely. You mentioned Arabs. Yes, uh, we do have information that, uh, that uh, not only the SLA, but certain other movements, I won't mention their names because many cases may depend on, on this information if we can get it out. We're told that a million dollars was available from an Arab country if they would blow up domestic uh, oil facilities. You, you, you are right on the edge, and if that's what makes it difficult. Well, I'm trying to get different rates. Well, what what are the Watergate people when they got it out? What, what you got all this pile of stuff here for? If it, if we're at a point where we can I, I follow your point. Look, there's different weights, obviously. With documentation, there's one weight. Uh, with uh, with uh, affidavit stuff, there's another weight. With information that is not yet developed enough to responsibly expose, it's another weight. We don't want to even it out and say it's all the same weight. It's a very different weight. The point is, the burden is, I think, on the media and on official law enforcement to get to the bottom of this. After all, we have spent six weeks and all the money and time we have, we are not going to bluff it beyond where we can take it. You Which said is DeFries's record, right? That's the hard stuff that we have today. The number of arrests yeah. and the fact that he's on probation and that kind of thing. And, and the I prison favoritism, too. The, the prison favoritism, prison favoritism is, 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 is obvious. The authorities admit he came to them. With regard to Colton Westbrook, would you take the same position there? Your last statement that he is a CIA agent. Do you have the evidence, the documents that show that and yeah. cannot reveal it? Uh, in this situation, we uh, our research is dependent on a group called the the state in Washington, made up of former Army intelligence officers who, in the anti-war movement, set up and uh, later funded and uh, cooperation from Norman Mailer, have set up a, a research group in Washington. Uh, they are working, their informants are in the Central Intelligence Agency and former CIA men, men like, uh, I'll give you some of their consultants without uh, making them responsible for any allegations. A man like Fletcher Prouty, whose book, The Secret Team, Mr. Prouty, you may know, was liaison between DIA and CIA. A man like Victor Marchetti, whose case has been before the public for some time, the secretary to the deputy CIA, a very high-ranking officer, uh, and others. Uh, these are the research um, for the Fifth Estate. The intention is to begin a Freedom of Information Act suit against the Stanford Research Institute, because it's really, in a way, a separate story. It, it, it impinges, certainly, with Westbrook on the SLA and may go further, we don't know. But if it ends, let us say, with that uh, behavior modification program, the Black Cultural Association, what we have is information that the Central Intelligence Agency is involved in the California prison system in its psychological testing and behavior modification and that there are deep cover CIA agents in various research institutes in California in co contradiction to the law about domestic involvement for the agency. We feel that this is an enormous story by itself. 
and we are gathering, there must be 25 people gathering information in preparation for a freedom of information lawsuit. <coughs> Who said Page decrees? 13. Are you, just a quickie? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, you said decrees was a creature. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I, I, I'd like to say something, and perhaps Mr. Headley, you know there's a twilight zone where the informers and the provocateurs live when they're drawn from the underclass. Mr. DeFries, Mr. Newton, Huey Newton once talked about the niggers under the mud once, what Dostoevsky meant by the man under the floorboards. These are people who are non-entities. They don't exist. Uh, Mr. Headley will t tell you about how they're numbered. They're just numbers in the informant situation. Uh, they have a charge over their heads. They are up against it. They have six children, like Mr. DeFries. They are at the end of the road. Uh, they are driven into a corner. It is very easy at that point for either brutal and or seductive police intelligence officers to offer a deal, a chance to keep plying their trade on the street, and even some money, a pittance, I can assure you, but even some money. And uh, these people become informants, and to be an informant, you have to bring in information, which means you often have to provoke crime that you yourself can report on. There have been studies of this, and it's, a, it's one of the saddest and uh, most pathetic of, our, of our, our widespread use in this country, and in this state especially in the 1960s, with black agent provocateurs. is a real scandal, and you would come out, I believe, in a fair investigation of this. I want Mr. Headley to talk to one point. We've heard that Mr. Farwell, who was DeFries's agent handler, and Lewis Tackwoods at one time, by the way, too, whose name appears in the 1967 information here, a court document, as the handling DeFries as he informed in the 200 uh, gun incident. Mr. Farwell may be hung out to dry. Uh, we have information that uh, Mr. Farwell may be blamed, and the higher authorities of the LAPD intelligence may say, well, this madman may have worked for our man at the black desk. Mr. Farwell is black, uh, but we had nothing to do with him. If they should tell you that, should any of you ask, I think the following information would be of interest. There, is, uh, there are transcripts of the uh, trials at which Captain Miller testified in federal court last year as to the procedure of the Los Angeles Police Department's Intelligence Division for handling informants. There's a definite set procedure for that. When an intelligence officer of the Los Angeles Police Department comes in contact with a person that he believes can provide useful information. He submits this person's name to Captain Dan Miller, the commanding officer of the Los Angeles Police Department Intelligence Division. Captain Miller, and Captain Miller alone, assigns a number to him. And forevermore, this informant is referred to by that number in all correspondence within the department and interdepartment communications. Captain Miller and the officer that's handling the man are the only people that know this man's name. Other intelligence detectives would only know the number. <coughs> so it would be impossible for Captain Miller to divorce himself from Donald DeFries if you believe that his testimony under oath, under oath in federal court in Los Angeles last year or year before last, the year before last, was the truth. It's, you, that, it's that sort of logic that leads you to have a younger. Would you speculate I, I on the yes, One, have you contacted any congressman in this regard? And secondly, I want to ask you a question. On page 13 of your uh, summary, you say that Mr. DeFries may have supplied the guns to the US organization uh, that were used by the Steiner brothers in shooting Bunchy Carter and John Huggins. Can you, first the congressional thing, and then could you give us some substantiation on that? Right. As far as congressional, 
we have waited for this, although uh, both candidates for district attorney have been aware in general of this investigation, and Mr. Buliosi in particular has monitored some of it as it went along because he allowed uh, Mr. Headley some time and some office help, uh, uh, which was about definitely needed, and I believe Mr. Buliosi will be ready with a reaction today. You mean uh, his official this. staff? N no, well, I His think. campaign staff? campaign staff allowed some. Mr. Headley works for some of the lawyers as an investigator. I, I don't think Vince Moyosi has an official staff right now since he has no official capacity in any, uh, to my knowledge, no, except I mean, he's a candidate. Staff. Well, I'm afraid attorney. I don't understand the question. He's running for attorney general. Running for attorney general, right. But have you contacted anybody in Congress, any congressional committee to investigate this? That's the no, that's the purpose of what we're doing for today. This is contacting contact. Congress through us. Well, we're going to try. How about the Hearst family? No, I'm I talked with Dr. Hacker at length, and uh, Dr. Hacker agreed and said he would call Mr. Hearst, that he believed, uh, uh, he agreed with my opinion that perhaps the only thing that would save Patricia Hearst now was if the truth about DeFries uh, broke apart the SLA from within. Oh, have you heard any, any comment from the Hearst no. family? You, you asked another question. Yeah, about this flying of guns to the oh, Steiner yes. brothers. Yes, yes, yes. May I say one thing first in regard to the Hearst family? Many people have asked me if we have done this work in an attempt to uh, uh, get a piece of that $50,000 reward that Mr. Hurst recently offered. Well, obviously we didn't because the work began long before the, the $50,000 reward was offered, to my knowledge, was in the last couple of days. It did come to our attention through a Los Angeles Police Department source that the FBI had offered a $100,000 reward, cash, income tax, money taken care of, $100,000 net six weeks ago. Uh, to, to anybody supplying information that led to, one, the arrest and conviction of Donald DeFree. How did they make the offer? To the Los Angeles Police Department in person. They made the, the offer to the LAPD? Why wasn't it made public? I don't know. That's another question. I don't know. Uh, that, that question fits almost all these things. Why wasn't it made public? A document which appears to be a manuscript, Sing Q the Slave. Are you uh, putting out a book on this mm. subject? We may. Um, we've been talking about trying, if we don't get a congressional reaction, we have to somehow set up some kind of research fund. So there are a lot of awfully good reporters and investigators who'd like to work full time, but just can't do it. Uh, unless there's some kind of fund, so it's possible that we might. Possible you will put out a book. Okay. Will we still get an answer on the, on the supplying of the guns to the Steiner brothers? Yes, yes, I've been trying to. <laughs> yes, as long as you maintain your patience like that, we sure can. We have lie detector information about the transfer of guns and money to the US organization through the criminal conspiracy section in the 1960s. And one of the men who supplied guns and money to the US organization, and eventually, I suppose, to the Steiner brothers, if they were convicted uh, uh, authentically, uh, was is an informant uh, to, uh, to this study. He had uh, his lie detector test with me. And uh, he has identified DeFries in his gun running activities as working parallel with him. Whether or not DeFries actually gave any guns and could therefore be involved at all in that assassination, we are not prepared to say. That he was running guns, <laughs> and as he, as at the same time he worked as an agent, uh, it is, uh, we believe, established, but I cannot go so far as to say. And which lie detector test you're talking about? The criminal conspiracy right. section. Of which? Uh, the LAPD. That's Younger's plumbers. You lie detector test or the one two years ago? No, the lie detector test about the guns to us two years ago. 
Mr. Freed, the FBI has admitted, and by court order, the documents have been released from the FBI files, which demonstrate a massive FBI program of infiltration and provocation aimed particularly at the black movement, but also at the left movement in its entirety. It seems a little inconsistent that with that much infiltration of informers and agents provocateurs that the FBI should be completely at a loss as to what's going on here. I think the reason they have no informants in this group is very obvious. The only time that intelligence doesn't have informants in a group like this uh, is when the group is artificial in some way, inauthentic in some way, unlike the weather people or other groups in the 60s that had either a base or a cover that came out of a, a normal progression of the movement. I don't, uh, in the case of the secret army organization, for instance, in San Diego, ex-Minuteman, the organizer of the group, Howard Barry Godfrey, was an FBI agent provocateur, and that's why there were no informants in the group. In, the, in this case, I don't know. All we can say is that it's our, we have no information about the FBI in this case, except that it is uh, clear that they are being denied information and that they are cross-purposes with California law enforcement. We have no charge to make against the FBI. Let's sit back together. Okay. Here's a question. Isn't it true on the, on the gun business that... 240 guns were stolen, but only 200 returned to the police? That's right. What Mr. happened to the other 40? Mr. DeFries kept uh, a number of the guns and was finally arrested with a Beretta pistol years later that he, uh, in a shootout, where he wounded the guard, for which he was finally remanded to prison with one of those guns, so that his dealing allowed him to keep some of the guns. And that shows that's in the court record. So what you're saying is that one of those 40 guns might have gone to the Steiner brothers? It's possible that any of the guns DeFries was dealing could have gone to the US organization or any other group. Is, are you saying, with regard to the FBI, that in fact Evel Younger has been preventing the FBI from carrying out its investigation, and that Evel Younger's connection with the CIA, similar to the rest of us connection with the CIA, would actually indicate that the CIA is at odds with the FBI in terms of this investigation? I think that's true. Okay. Did you, did you hear that? I mean, that's the question that you were asking. Are you saying there that, that uh, I think you mentioned that uh, Younger was OSS during the war? That's putting a finer point on it that we're yeah. making. I mean, are you saying by extension he's still a CIA agent? No, we are not saying I'm that. Saying but I'm saying that, uh, that that is an interesting statement that should be included in any investigation. Now, you're saying essentially that this, that concretely and hard-line documentation exists that will preclude Evel J. Younger from divorcing Donald DeVries. There's too many bridesmaids still around. <laughs> uh, given, given that that's the case, given that there's hard evidence that's coming out, which you're implying with almost everything you say, is that, an implication? that this SLA is CIA, a CIA operation, would you speculate on why do you think that the, SL, the CIA is mobilizing an SLA, SLA operation in the United States at this time? Uh, given that similar occurrences are occurring in Italy and other places right now. Well, I think that's a, 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 a interesting and, and I think it's a slightly different discussion, which I'd be glad to get into, but I, I want to give a chance uh, uh, for a while yet uh, on the California connection. Do you have any more information about um, behavior modification and psychosurgery inside there? Yes, I, I think that this is a, is a, is a separate case. It impinges on this one because DeFries came out of the behavior modification uh, program. 
I think that uh, what wiretapping was to the 60s, behavior modification will be perceived to the 70s, to the American public. I think what's going on in the California prison system is really frightening, and the connection uh, between those behavior modification programs and CIA elements in private research institutes in California should be uh, one of the first priorities of an official investigation. And that, that, in, that subsumes, in a way, what this gentleman is saying. Okay, uh, that you've been listening to the past 45 minutes to a press conference of Don Freed, author of Executive Action, Inquest, and um, made the movie Executive Action, co-authored Glasshouse Tapes with Lewis Tackwood, writer, investigator. Don Freed gave a press conference at the office of Charles Gary, the attorney, in San Francisco, May the 10th, 1974. And I think you could pick up a lot of information about Donald DeFries and the California law enforcement. I hope you enjoyed this format of a program. We'll be on next week at Dialogue Conspiracy. Until then, take care. This has been Dialogue Conspiracy with political research specialist May Brussel, who for over 10 years has been researching the facts behind the political assassinations in this country so that the truth may be revealed. Dialogue Conspiracy originates with KLRB-FM in Carmel, California.